This is Raphael. I'm Lauren. We're the Pacheco siblings, and welcome to the Hypercube Podcast, a talk show in which two siblings converse about anything and everything. So, one thing that we shouldn't neglect to mention is that because this is our first recording session for the podcast after Resident Roleplay Prometheus has premiered. So, yeah, yeah. that's a whole thing. Um, for those who don't, it's a whole thing. For those who don't know, Resident Roleplay Prometheus is our tabletop RPG actual play show in which we play a uh, campaign based in the world of the Resident Evil video games. So, yeah, of course, I'm a huge Resident Evil super fan. I guess that's uh, podcast known. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we did that. We did a whole Resident Evil-based campaign for three years, and then it concluded. And now it's kind of in a bit of a revival with Prometheus, which is basically one last little closure arc to say goodbye to the campaign and these characters yeah. and closing up some loose ends with them facing their ally turned enemy, Emil Johansson, who used to be your character. Yeah, he used to be mine. And then, well, he's not anymore. <laughs> yeah, story happened. So, yeah, that's currently ongoing for those who haven't yet seen it. It's actually... It's it's of course it has a lot of story baggage from the campaign, especially seeing as it's playing off specifically yeah. from things that happen in the campaign. However, I still would recommend watching it if you are interested in seeing us do some RPG content. It's still just a fun time with a fun it group is, and uh, hopefully good storytelling, which yeah, as always, is always a good time. But mm-hmm. I tried to keep in mind too, especially knowing for a fact that we do have some people who are actually watching it that are unfamiliar with the core campaign and also the fact that it's been years since we played the core campaign so we could use the reminder ourselves (laughs) i I do try to uh narrate it in such a way as to keep reminders of things that happened before or kind of work into some of the descriptions brief recaps so that everybody could kind of be on the same page Mm -hmm. either way but yeah it's been a long time in the works, and I'm really excited to be back in the GM seat and to be playing with that group again, because it's been a long time since we've been together. It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. Also, we had a pretty dope audio log in part one. That was so And yeah, yeah that, that was that was awesome to work on. Um, we worked with Catabelle, who's a pretty awesome voice actress that we've worked with on a number of occasions now and got to have you in session opposite her. That was just a fun session to direct. And I think the audio log turned out super well. I was super excited to do that audio log because I had gotten the script for it, like the loose script. No, I think the script he gave me a while ago was the script we ended up using on the Uh, the It was It was the first draft. Yeah, we ended up using maybe a second draft. I think okay, yeah, yeah, about yeah. it. It was yeah. It, from what I remember, it was mostly about the same whenever we did it. But I remember getting that that script, that first draft, a while ago, and just freaking out because I was like, "What's happening? What? Oh, this is my character, or this was my character? What's? Wow, that's a long way to go." <laughs> yeah, go watch the episode to get that uh, that audio log. It's it's a it's a ride oh crazy yeah. stuff happens oh yeah and yeah and it, just being able to do an audio log now at my current level yeah. of sound mixing and engineering and audio knowledge it's it was kind of a blast and 
again, like the hearing the, the difference in quality between that one and I think literally all of the audio logs yeah. that came before because you know it's pretty astounding. You know audio engineering now. You actually understand like real principles of audio engineering. Yeah, yeah. So I have a bit more of a, a bit more of a theory to work with. And I'm and, just like, and, and and I also just have a lot better, uh, a lot more practice at acting and stuff like that as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then having a professional voice actress on board too to it act ops. It's like it's all around like leagues above any of the other audio logs we did for that campaign. Let me tell you right now, Raf. It is a completely different experience. I don't know if you've had this experience, but it is a completely different experience <laughs> acting against a professional. Like oh yeah. It's totally different. Like there's I remember specific moments in the recording or the recording session where I'm just like I need to be better. <laughs> I, need to, I need to step my game up. She is acting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's for real. And yeah, I, I think a lot of people had strong reactions to that. And yeah, it was it's, it's a pretty intense little uh, scene that's yeah. played out. And yeah, it was it was just a ton of fun to direct you both. And Catabelle is always a blast to work with. And she turns in a, a phenomenal performance in that one. And I think for it was it was kind of cool because for that one we would go through the entire scene as a as a yeah. full read through of the scene with you two going back yeah. and forth between like, each other like theater doing the yeah like yeah and um i would give directions in between run throughs as entire takes you know i would get in between those takes i would give directions to kind of curate it and nudge it in the right direction and dial in some of the line readings yeah but for the last take that we did i pretty much didn't give any direction and just say, let's just get one more take and you guys do whatever you want to do. Keep in yeah. mind all the previous direction, but just do whatever you feel yeah. you want to do. And, and I think you both kind of looked at each other and made the same decision. Yeah, <laughs> and like, you both like almost at the same time said, uh, I, I think what she said was, I'm going to go dramatic. And you're yeah. like, oh yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. Yeah. And you, like, right, you're I'm like, gonna yeah, I was gonna, I'm going to go big. Yeah. <laughs> and so you both went big on the last take. And it's phenomenal. And that's actually <laughs> the take I ended up using. Yeah. So, well, um, a majority of it, at least. Yeah. I, I had to uh, uh, swap out specific lines for ones that felt a little bit more um, better contextualized in their yeah. in their flow and in their in the their specific intonation. But However, that's why we do takes. The, most of those. Yeah, exactly. That's why we have takes. But a majority of it was all from that same last run through. Yeah. So the one where I, and that's an awesome thing to to feel as a director is to be in that position where it's just like, okay, we've got it dialed in. Now I think you guys know what I'm getting at and you have a feel for the scene. Just let loose and just take a, just let me take a step back and let yep. you guys follow your instincts. And yep. yeah, that got the best results. Oh, it was so fun it was so fun. like especially that last thing oh, where yeah. i was just like like I'm, I'm not i'm gonna stop worrying about sounding I, I don't know like i'm gonna stop worrying about like sounding right i'm just gonna put emotion and just rawness into it and it's like okay now that's what this scene needs it's like it's not yeah. it's not just being able to do the words and being able to like obviously having good uh what's the word um clarity of like in in the words like diction uh, diction yes like obviously having good diction is fine <laughs> it's kind of important but mm. the first few takes is just making sure i'm saying the right words right and then at that point it's like okay mm. i understand like I, I i know the script i know all the words i don't have to worry about that anymore now i can just 
go into it and do it. Yeah. I don't have to worry about flopping, yeah. like flubbing any lines or anything like that. Cause it's like, we already did it five times already. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So yeah, resident roleplay Prometheus is currently ongoing. We're live streaming it every Saturday evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, around seven o'clock Eastern time. However, that is subject to variables because we have a lot of different people in a lot of different time zones and a lot of different schedules to wrangle. We're all super busy. So, uh, it it varies by a few hours on occasion, but generally speaking, Saturday evenings is, um, when we, when we live stream, at least here in the United States and, then uh, VODs are uploaded to YouTube the Monday after. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you could catch up either way. It's going to be a very exciting conclusion to this campaign that has really been very special to us and really kind of changed the trajectory of our lives in a lot of ways. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, that's exciting, but we just had to plug that because that's been a huge part of our lives lately is getting back to that and getting back to these characters and... Yeah, telling this story and kind of applying a lot of the lessons we've learned oh. just about about role playing in general and running the game and and all of that. There's just been so much learning. And even though it's been a while since I've been back in the GMC, it just feels really natural because a I had all that practice that came before. And so maybe the practice is a little rusty. Yeah. However, I have a lot more theory as well and have given a lot more thought into how to go about it. And like the thing about the practice is, you know, I had three years of it. So it's like, that's not muscle memory that disappears fast, yeah. you know, <laughs> even if it has been a year and a half since we last played. Yeah. But regardless, yeah, that was that's that's been that first session. We've only done one session so far as of this recording, which was uh, part one. And that was so much fun, so much fun to get back together with everybody and play that. It was great. Yeah, I'm really excited to see where this goes. I love I love being able to play one of my characters as a new character but the same character that's an actually interesting twist we got to talk about that probably <laughs> in a further breakdown after the after prometheus is over yeah but yeah oh i want to give a little bit more behind the scenes of just like a meal stuff as well because i edited, yeah i edited emil's trailer or the, the prometheus trailer mm-hmm. um after that's right I read that uh that script for the voiceovers uh, for the uh, for the audio log which means I knew about the meal twist, the meal special. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, I had written that uh, little monologue years ago uh, when I was preparing for Emil to start turning bad. <laughs> when I was when I was yeah. heading him in that direction, I prepared that monologue years ago, and then I came back on it because I was like, we need. Or I, I wanted to make this again. It's like, oh yeah, we also need a trailer for Prometheus. I was like, oh, I'll just make this the trailer. Uh, I think you said to make that the trailer. And I looked back and mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, this is unchanged. Yeah, this is perfect. This is Emil. This is exactly where he ended up going anyways, which was awesome to be able to, to look back on that, that old character work and say, yeah, this still applies. We did end up making this a thing. And it was really great. But then when I started editing it, I was like, wait, I know something about Emil that won't, that, that will be revealed later. But doesn't necessarily like if you just look at it literally doesn't reveal anything inherently about him. So I was like, oh, wait, I I can have him like I can have him teleport in the actual trailer and have like that that uh, specter virus missed stuff happen. Mm -hmm. And I was like, 
nobody will think that's a literal thing. Like nobody's gonna look at that and go like, oh wow, Emil has superpowers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But at the same time, it works as like a teaser yeah. and a foreshadowing yeah. of things to come. Yeah, it's great. Great trailer work. Yeah, because like <laughs> it just it just it hits the beats of the like of the song. It's like like it it looks dramatic and cinematic and everything like that. But it's like nobody's gonna look at that and, and go like, oh, he teleported. <laughs> But, that's, but it's like, yeah, the effect was there. And then if you look back on that trailer and see, and like with knowing uh, everything that happens in the in the first episode, it's like, yeah, nope, that's that's new Emil. <laughs> that is that is new Emil. Mm hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah. There's, there's, a, there's, there's a lot that we'll have to talk about later on, too, after yeah. I suppose after the fact, like I said, we'd probably need to do a roundtable discussion for sure. For sure. And uh after after the this little mini campaign is over we always do the resident recaps that's the one that we do when we finish an arc right we go back and talk about it or resident retrospect retrospect called the one. resident recaps was the one it used to that, be called recaps well that's that got rebranded to be um, yeah it, so it used to recaps. be called Re resident yeah it used to be called resident retrospect or resident recap however we rebranded it to be resident retrospect because we wanted to call the actual recaps recaps yeah so instead of yeah the the discussions but anyway yeah we'll definitely have to do a breakdown of that and do a sort of look at our process of yeah. <laughs> setting up this mini campaign and all that goes into the collaboration of it but yeah it's really exciting it's really exciting so speaking of rpgs though have you seen i already know the answer because you never watch trailers mm. <laughs> but have you seen the D D honor among thieves trailer i have but i have not seen it <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I have no idea what i'm supposed to make of this thing uh, because like is this is this like a, a serious like fantasy thing with D D themes or is it like D D shenanigans is this like weird <laughs> i mean it's like it's a proper D D movie yeah but like, what, to, there are so you. many different ways D D can go though like obviously like there's the <laughs> calamity like high level dramatic bs that's happening there and then there's just like i don't know 99 shenanigans right like there's there's so many different ways you can make an authentic D D show is this like serious fantasy is this just like is this comedic? Is I don't I don't I don't I don't know I don't know what I'm supposed to think about it. Like I don't what I obviously watching the trailer would just tell me, I, I imagine, but I don't watch <laughs> trailers uh, for whatever reason. I'm starting to not I'm starting to uh, go back on that a little bit. It's like I should I should at this point just watch trailers. It's just good. It'll just keep me in the loop. <laughs> it's just good information to have watch these trailers every now and then, but I I don't know what's what's the What's the tone? What's the tone of this? Of this? Uh, is it a series? It's a film. It's a film. A feature film. What's What's the tone of this film yeah. here? Is this theatrical feature film? So, uh, yeah, it's. I, I think tone wise, yeah, it is kind of a mixed bag. It's like everything you expect D and D to be. It's kind of. It's kind of fun, kind of silly, kind of adventurey, and all high fantasy. Yeah. But it's yeah, like like we talked about before. We were talking. I think before they came out with this trailer, I think we were talking about this movie back when it was announced of, you know, we were talking about the legend of Vox Machina right. and how that was such a perfect D and D show, you know, like it was a proper adaptation. You could see the mechanics in it. You could yeah. see 
a lot of D&D iconography, but also iconography that's just from that Critical Role campaign. Yeah. And it was just, everything about it was just such a perfect adaptation. I was like, it's hard to imagine, you know, something that's more D&D than this. But yeah, after watching the trailer for this, and that's why I was kind of skeptical about this, because I was like, you know, it almost feels like... uh, it almost feels like Critical Role kind of beat them to the punch yeah. in doing something that's high production value D&D adaptation. Um, however, the, yeah, this is kind of interesting because I feel like it is it is tonally, I think, a little bit similar to uh, okay, okay. The Legend of Vox Machina, to be sure. But yeah. it's it's definitely, I think it's a, it's a little bit more... And this is going to sound like an insult, but it's it's a little bit more generic in a good way. Like it's like because with Vox Machina, that's one specific party that yeah. has its own specific reputation and iconography. Yeah. Whereas this one is like kind of more um, general D and D, where yeah. it's just like, the okay, thing. this could be anybody's party. Yeah. This is like, and it's 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 a pretty interesting sort of setup for the party. They've got some good character classes in there. Mm-hmm. But what I, that's what I love about it is that it's obviously may well, well I, I say i'm gonna say it's obviously made by people who enjoy the game but that's like everybody now right yeah. that's the thing is like dnd is so popular that i guess I, that hadn't occurred to me that dnd is now so popular that any adaptation of it right from like industry professionals is going to nail the right beats <laughs> yeah <laughs> ideally because those are just the kinds of people who play dnd so right I, are the people who work in vfx the right people yeah, who yeah right all, all the right movies the people who produce movies like those are all dnd nerds all now. those all those nerds <laughs> so what i'm getting is uh, vox machina legend of vox machina was about it was about vox machina in dnd this is more about D and not a party, but like D and D the experience. Yeah, in essence, it feels like it hits all of those beats of like D and D meme humor. Yeah, meets you know actual D and D adventure book. Yeah, meets kind of just all a hodgepodge of things because there's so much in the trailer. Like the sheer density of D and D in the trailer is actually oh, kind of insane. That's, that's <laughs> like good. there's. Like there's uh, there's so many mechanics that you could see in that you could recognize in action. Uh, so many iconic monsters, you know, straight yep. out of the the books. Although apparently there's some there's some sketchy hmm? there's some sketchy plagiarism going on in the poster. Whoever designed Uh-oh. the poster for the film, where apparently there was some there was some ripped Pathfinder art that appears in the poster Uh-oh. for what, some of the monsters. <laughs> And uh, like copy pasted but, PNG stuff, or like, yeah, like copy and paste the oh, no. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. just lazy. <laughs> it's yeah, it is pretty lazy. People were pointing out, it's like I wonder how much like sketchy stuff is in that poster. If somebody yeah. could spot the intellect devourer from Pathfinder, yeah. But oh, the, 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 well, there is a mimic in the poster too that is straight out that that is the monster manual artwork for it and people are like okay that one's that one's lazy but completely legal yeah <laughs> but pathfinder um not wizards of the coast yeah pathfinder completely different game completely different company yeah that's ugh. so i order i, I hope that, i hope they mm, so that's the thing i hope they comes, licensed it but i was, I was gonna say like that's the thing with like D as well where the the term D now just means role playing game, right? Like, do you play D D? Yeah, I play D D. I go to a Pathfinder game every week, <laughs> right? It's yeah, like, yeah. It's like, oh yeah, like I I love three point five, uh, which is a D and uh edition. Uh, so therefore, I play Pathfinder, which is not Wizards of the Coast. It's Paizo, 
And it's like, those are, those are two different things. And I, I wondered if that person legitimately did not know that that was a different game. <laughs> it's quite possible because again, yeah, what you say about the way we use the language of D&D as RPGs in that culture is kind of ubiquitous. And it, it, it does kind of upset me a little bit. And that's why I try yeah. actively to, to say RPGs when I'm not yeah. talking about D&D, right? Because it, it's, it is a part of the culture that has limited it and constrained yeah. it a lot, yeah. right? Where a lot of people, all they know is D&D. Yeah. And there are so many good role-playing games, first of all. Let's just establish that as a base fact. There are yeah. so many good role-playing games that aren't D&D. And what's worse is that there are a lot of people who should not be playing D&D, yeah. who like, are looking for the, the experience they're looking for in an RPG is out there and it's not in D D. Yeah. And there's so many complaints that you would hear where it's just like, you, my friend, are simply looking for a different game. Let yeah. me recommend to you this dope game that you would be much happier playing. Yeah. It's like, oh wow, and, we're trying to play like this uh this low fantasy dark detective setting where uh combat isn't super important in D D. No, no, no. You need to be playing Call of Cthulhu. That's entirely mm. like that, like that's just what it is. You just described Call of Cthulhu. But all you know is D&D yeah. because that's all that's marketed. And that's, or that, that's not all that's marketed, but that's all that like the community likes to talk about because it's so big and monolithic. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which is a, which but is anyway, a, that's an aside yeah. tangent. But that, like, that, that's why even if even if I'm talking about D&D, I still use GM as uh, a generic, just like I, I am a GM. That's true. Because DM, people don't realize, is trademarked. Dungeon Master is specific to D&D. You are not a Dungeon Master mm -hmm. if you are heading literally any other game other than D&D. Because yeah. Dungeons & Dragons is a Dungeon Master, a DM. The other games have other names for the people who are in charge. Like, I believe uh, White Wolf uses Storyteller to um, yeah. to whoever's doing that, like or like Referee for some other games. I don't know what uh, mm -hmm. Pathfinder uses. Um, they, they might just, Pathfinder uses GM. GM, yeah. I was gonna say, I think they might, they might use yeah. generic Game Master, but I think they established that term probably. Yeah, yeah, but because they were probably the first ones that needed it. <laughs> yeah, they're like, okay, we need a name for a DM that's not a DM because DM is trademarked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose Storyteller goes back even further, but like yeah. they're like the first one that came from that legacy of D and D. Yeah, you know where they were working off of the uh open source you yeah. know srd for 3.5 yeah so yeah yeah exactly and i know a lot of people uh use that habit as well um i do still say dm when i'm like no i'm referring specifically to yeah. gming for dnd however yeah like i've heard you just a, did it, a lot of people actually what you just did it what do you mean you just said i still use dm when i refer to gming for dnd <laughs> Oh, well, what I mean is <laughs> I know, uh, I know, well, because I, know. That, I did that. I did, I did that intentionally, though. Like I did that to use the generalized yeah. term for the process. But it's but just funny that that's just yeah. how it is. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, because that is the generalized term. Yeah. But yeah, I know a lot it of people is, who use uh, GM, yeah. like even when talking about D&D, &D, you know, to yeah. to keep that abstraction. So. But anyway, that's kind of an aside. So my point is the sheer density of D&D in &D the trailer is pretty immense. The, but yeah, there's, a, there's just a lot of stuff you could recognize, mechanics-wise, monsters-wise, classes-wise, and also just the general shenanigans. Like I said, it's kind of steeped in like D&D &D meme culture of it's just like, ah, 
this is how it goes, yep. you know, yep. and it's at, but like with actually a quality of production that's legitimately impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some shots in there where I'm like, oh, man, that, those are legitimately good shots, like very well produced in terms of the VFX, in terms of the cinematography, like everything about it. Um, and obviously, you know, you've got uh, uh, like high production. You got Chris Pine in there, right? So you do have some like, Whoa. named, yeah, A-list cast. Who's Chris Pine? Uh, and I mean, I, I know uh, who Chris Pine is, but what, like, what, what, what class or what, uh, what is uh, Chris Pine playing? He's playing. He's playing. I guess effectively the lead of the film because he's the biggest oh, A-lister. He's the, he's the but it's the um, no. He's a bard. He's a bard. Oh, I thought because like the the name of the film is Thieves and what was it Thieves? Honor among thieves. Honor among thieves. It was honor among thieves. I, I was assuming the lead was going to be a rogue. That's what I thought as well. I thought it was going to be a party of rogues, but I thought not. <laughs> I thought wrong. <laughs> because uh, I don't think there's a single rogue in the party in that film. Uh, uh, I think Thieves is just... <laughs> it's quite possible. <laughs> I think Thieves is just what they're referring to adventurers as. That's probably... Yeah. Well, to be if fair... That's the, the vibe I kind of got from the trailer. Yeah. Was they're like, ah, oh, what profession are you in? We're doing thieving. It's like, yeah. but they're just doing regular dungeon delving and taking artifacts. Yeah, it's like, fair, that's what all adventurers do. To be fair, that is what the original adventuring was, was basically all um, grave robbing. That's what D&D was based off of. Like, that's the... It's kind of a, like weird to think about, but like grave robbing is technically what adventuring is <laughs> like all these people that you're yeah. taking these like all, all these artifacts used to come from people who you're probably like treading on their their graves to do like you, you literally bust into a crypt fought a necromancer ripped like his staff out of his cold dead hands in any other culture that's called <laughs> that's called grave robbing <laughs> that's fair that's fair and it looks like the villain of this movie is gonna be it, I, I, it's a little ambiguous but it seems to be some sort of a lich mm-hmm. it looks like a lich type of person lich is a, a might really be good, vecna lich is a, a good standard <laughs> oh let's just say lich is a good standard villain but like yeah like vecna is becoming obviously with stranger thing stranger things vecna is becoming like a pretty mainstream like people know who vecna is now who aren't dnd nerds yeah yeah he's a pretty mainstream villain now yeah uh, i mean yeah well there was uh i think critical role was like the yeah big- yeah definitely boost first yeah because like the being the big bad of critical role and then stranger things it's like those are a series of things where it's just like vecna is becoming a little bit more of a household name yeah. so it wouldn't surprise me if this lich turns out to be vecna but i don't think I they think... they dropped that name in the trailer it just it does kind of look like it might be generic lich bad guy. yeah i was gonna say i think if they want to keep that you said it looked a little generic i think if they want to do that as a like intentional production standard keeping everything a little generic and not like too specific uh having generic lich bad guy would would work there are also actually a lot of generic lich bad guys in dnd like proper dnd like modules in the lore of the forgotten realms that you could probably draw on That's as true. well like what was the one that matt Koval likes to use for a lot of his early level uh parties i'm trying to remember that lich's uh, it's name. not a lich <laughs> there is a there is a lich who um well, because there's a couple of bad guys that he likes to use. Uh, and there's one of them. Calorel the Vile. Uh, maybe. I don't <laughs> That's not a lich, though. Well, like I said, I don't think he uses any liches in his low-level adventures. Because might, liches are historically high-level true. baddies. Well, that's but... true. Because it might just be a, like a dark wizard type of person. They're, they're, they're a yeah. magic user of some kind. Yeah. On their way to liches, um, I should say. 
Yeah, exactly. Also a viable villain yeah. for, <laughs> for lower levels. So, but yeah, yeah, all sorts of stuff in there. It's But it's super cool, just super cool to see this D&D stuff portrayed in high production value film yeah right like yeah. to see a full cgi well animated displacer beast was just like oh. a kind of like cool moment where i was like oh man i didn't know i needed to see that <laughs> it was just super cool there was the you, you had a gelatinous cube was in there Ooh. you got a mimic Ooh. a good old-fashioned chest mimic i want to see I, I didn't realize that i wanted to see a live action or not live action but like photorealistic rendered gelatinous cube Gelatinous cubes are funny. Oh, yeah. I love gelatinous cubes. They, they are. Oh, they're hilarious. They're, like, they're so. They're one of those classic D&D monsters that are literally based around the playing of the game of D&D. Like, when you play the game of D&D, <laughs> you play in five by five squares. You move, you know, however many feet at a time. And it's just like this creature was designed to fill one space in D&D. Like, literally fill it to the corners, to the edges, which is. A five by five cube, <laughs> so, yeah. Which is why this gel- this gelatinous object, which is which is gelatinous, you would think that it would fill to expand in whatever space it's in, is a cube, <laughs> because that's how DND is measured in. Oh yeah, like one it's unit, one of those things that's yeah. just like very obviously designed for the game. Yeah, and it's like and it's great. I love that kind of stuff. Like another classic DND monster, right? The uh, beholders, right? Beholders are creatures designed to interact with as many like as many mm-hmm. spells and saves and weird magic stuff in DD as it could possibly cram into one creature it's like we need one creature just to be a menace to players what do we do we give it nine actions okay but how do we do that uh, assign each action to an eyeball and just give this thing nine eyes cool now we have a monster <laughs> we have this we have we have yeah. this, these characters that, like going through a five by five uh hallway we need a creature to help you know stop them in their tracks we're going to do we'll, we'll fill up one of those spaces with a monster uh, just make it made of acid and sure it's gelatinous cube it's like it's entirely designed around the playing of the game and i love that stuff it's so it's so D to have a creature designed for a board game mm-hmm. yeah exactly exactly yeah that's so super cool you've, you've told me that about like we've talked about the beholders before and how they specifically interact with the mechanics and it's like yeah that is true the the with their, between their anti-magic cone yep. and everything else like they specifically interact with D mechanics like they're uh, a fantasy monster that is designed not to stump any regular generic fantasy adventures but D adventurers yeah. specifically, specifically they are designed to fight yeah yeah and that's that's super cool so yeah, I hope. Well, man, that'd be so cool if we had a, if we get a beholder in the movie. I don't know about that though. That's, that's a little bit. That's a little bit crazy. That'd be a little bit crazy. But yeah, they uh, they had all sorts of stuff in there. But we did see there there are plenty of you guessed it dragons uh-huh. in the trailer. Are there? Awesome. So it is yeah. Well, there are dungeons and there are dragons Whoa. in this movie. It would seem. Yeah, it's the full package. It's the full package. But it actually they actually portrayed something in the trailer that i've actually been wanting to see a visual representation of for a long time because i always had a hard time imagining it because this is one of those dragon combinations where i'm like i don't entirely understand how this one goes with that (gasps) color and i'm like okay now i think i get it (laughs) okay okay. is a like a a specific color of dragon like a um a chromatic dragon yeah it, it is a chromatic dragon is it black there's one chromatic dragon 
Yeah. <laughs> I love black dragons. Oh, really? Yeah. I, well, guess, I, well, say I, I love the look and the the appearance and the visual design of black dragons i've always loved that but however i've never understood like what is acid breath <laughs> has been my my entire dm lifelong question yeah. is like what in the world is acid breath what does that look like i don't understand <laughs> yeah. how i'm supposed to describe this and i've thought of all sorts of different workarounds of how i would do it in my head but none of them really mesh with like how why is this coming out of a dragon whose color is black yeah and after seeing this uh this trailer i'm like oh that's probably how it's supposed to I, look I need to, <laughs> I need to see i need to see it I, i'm gonna watch this trailer after this <laughs> <laughs> I might have to, I'm, yeah, I think, and Raph, I, I think I am going to break my vow of silence on trailers and <laughs> oh no, I think it's happening. I, I think that period is over. I think I need to start watching trailers. But you, what you need to do is you need to, I don't think you should go all the way to the opposite extreme where like, where I like, oh no, 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 I'm not going to do that. My cra- way. You're a crazy person. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I think, I think you just ought to watch all the trailers that I, I recommend. To exactly. You. <laughs> exactly. I think at this point I've gotten to the, I've gotten to the, the, the section of my like filmmaking career now where it's just inconvenient to not watch trailers because <laughs> it's like, I'm. <laughs> It used to be that, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to watch the trailer because I'm going to watch the movie. I don't have time for that anymore. Just give me the trailer and I'll be satisfied. That's true. Some of these trailers are as good as watching the movie anyway. Some of these trailers <laughs> are completely different experiences from watching the movie, apparently. It's true. It's true. But yeah, yeah, there's a pretty long shot involving a black dragon where I'm like, yeah. ooh, that's uh so that that's how it's supposed to look okay i'm my excitement for black dragons has been reinvigorated oh (laughs) Oh, excuse me Uh, i understand acid breath now (laughs) um do you remember how to train your dragon i do me and rose watched that again recently and oh we watched it because it was going first one yeah the first one it was going off of netflix i I don't remember when it was uh, like i think the end of last month it was supposed to go off of netflix we checked again recently. It's still on there. So I guess whatever. Yeah, that happens sometimes. That happens sometimes. Yeah. I, there was another movie. I don't remember which one. I had to do that where I saw a movie was going off. I, so I watched it before the deadline. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it totally just renewed its thing. Yeah, and it just so stayed sometimes on I guess they never yeah. know. <laughs> so anyways, we ended up watching How to Train Your Dragon again. And do you remember that dragon that has two heads and one of them breathes gas and the other one uh, ignites it with a spark? No, but that sounds like a dope concept. Oh, it's such a dope dragon. <laughs> And because uh, like, you know, you like remember like the story of the movie, like Vikings, they don't like dragons and then Vikings start riding dragons and become dragon riders. But there's this group of little kids who are going through dragon training and each one of them is assigned one of like, I don't know, like the one of the dragons that they fight through their training. They're like each one, the personalities that like, go match like the fat one rides a fat dragon. And like the, there's these two mm-hmm. twins who ride one head of this double headed dragon. Oh, that's <laughs> it's super cool. cool. It's super cool. But yeah, there's this dragon. So like it breathes this like noxious gas and the other one, like, I think it like flicks its tongue against its teeth and makes a spark. It's super dope. That, that initial breath of just like the, that's kind of how I imagine like acid breath of just like this corrosive gas, like a, mm. like a, like a, a chemical corrosion. Yeah. Well, and that's the neat part about D and D is like, you could always flavor it that way. Yeah. Right. Cause it's like, there's. It gives you the mechanics, but you could always describe the flavor to your specification of what a dragon's breath is like. Yeah. And I, I, I love that. I yeah. love that. 
I have a very specific idea about how dragons should be in like a, a tabletop gaming kind of mechanics situation that like 5e dragons don't really satisfy my <gasps> my ideal dragon ideas. Really? I like 5e You're gonna dragons. Complain about D&D dragons? I like 5e dragons in lore, but on paper they dissatisfy me. I love them on paper. What's wrong with them on paper? They're flat. But that's the point. <laughs> They're dragons. <laughs> what does that mean? No, just like there's a They're lot of stuff to be like a plug and play kind of kind of monster. Well, it's just there's a lot of stuff that I think a dragon should be able to do that these dragons can't. OK, for example, for example, I think their breath needs to be way scarier. Uh, I think it's not like what do you what do you mean? I it think does so much damage. I know, but they only have an ult. That's the problem. They need a basic attack, too. That isn't just wings, tail, and, and fangs. Their breath needs to be the primary thing that this dragon is built around. It's not just big ult, roll a d6 to recharge, and then you get another big ult. I like that. Keep it. But there needs to be more on top of it. There needs to be another action they can use with their breath that isn't just one attack, maybe every, one, every three rounds or whatever. Three, three and a half rounds, I think, on average. <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess the metallics get two breath options that I think recharge separately. So they might have a bit more. But I guess if you're if you're not the baddies, then when are you going to fight a metallic? <laughs> um, what do they get? Yeah, yeah. I suppose I suppose I'll have to wait for you to run a, a dragon on me so I can see what your big dragon ideas are. <laughs> Which ones do the metallics get? Uh, do, do, do they get like a line and a cone? Uh, yeah, so they get an element, an elemental breath, just like the chromatics. Yep. And then they also get a non-lethal non one. So right? usually, yeah, yeah, they get a non-lethal like option, which is usually or... some sort of, yeah, debuff or, yeah. yeah, or a sleep or things of that nature. Well, I, the only reason they have that, I think, is simply because they are the good guys. They're, they're like, if you are, for whatever reason, if you end up finding a gold dragon, it's just like, the only options I have here are kill you or kill you faster. So we're going to give you another option here that's not kill you, <laughs> but still win the encounter. Mm -hmm. But no, I think there should be more, like just more stuff the dragon can be able to do with their breath. I, I would love a dragon that was just like its breath attack or like its fire breath or whatever it is, right? Like fire, ice thing. Like it has little mini versions. Like it's not all fireball all the time, which is, you know, still great. They should be able to have, they, they, they need a firebolt equivalent to just be able to do on their action every turn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. Uh, sure. Well, like also, I said, I'll I'll have to wait for you to run a run a dragon on yeah. me to to find out all your big dragon ideas, which I don't know, maybe happening sooner than later. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Hold on, I'm thinking. I was <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready to put dragons in in Varric. <laughs> ah, who knows? It could happen. I don't know. I don't, I don't. I honestly don't know what to expect of that campaign yet. <laughs> we haven't been doing too much prep. <laughs> well, I was going to sp say, speaking of other uh, movie trailers I've seen lately. So I, I shared with you a bit. I was posting about this on the community server. Right. But I saw this trailer for this movie called Carter, uh, which is from it's a Korean film that's coming to Netflix, a Korean action mm -hmm. movie. And it. Is directed by the oh, yeah, 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 this one. same yeah. individual who directed, yeah, I, uh, the the villainous, uh, yeah. which was a big action movie that came out a few years back that we still haven't gotten a chance to see yet, but we have been meaning to. I don't remember if you, and, which one yeah. the villainous was. 
that was, was the that? one with the 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 one thing I know about. It, I mean, I, I know a lot of people saw it, and I heard a lot about it in the action community. However, the it's most notorious for having the motorcycle chase that inspired the motorcycle chase from John Wick Three. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Except in John Wick Three, it's a it's you know it's a blockbuster film, so it's a big composited hullabaloo. But yeah. in the villainess, it's done pretty much entirely practical from what i understand yeah Yeah, they just went for because it's it's you know it's lower budget just martial arts movie goodness yeah just warrior spirit looks filmmaking (laughs) just we need to make this film exactly there's gonna have a scene in it so we're gonna shoot it (laughs) yep so it, it looks i've seen bits and pieces of it but it looks absolutely insane well just like a lot more elaborately choreographed than the the same scene in John Wick three as well. Uh, and just, yeah, insane, insane stun work. But yeah, Carter looks like that on like steroids. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> just the real time like, action one, right? All the, all the time. Yeah. It's yeah. From what I understand, it's a real time film and it's, yeah, it looks, it looks absolutely insane. Lauren, it's been a while since we've seen a good action movie, so we need to do that at some point. I think we need to watch both those movies together yeah. at some point. Yeah. Because we need a we need a fix. We haven't seen a great martial arts action movies in a while. But yeah. yeah. I I'm actually legitimately excited about that one. It looks it looks pretty insane and the just everything about it looks great. Like the how the storytelling, how cinematic it looks and just how elaborately choreographed and well-designed and well-shot the action is it's it's just it looks awesome all around it's been a while since i've seen an action movie trailer that has given me chills on account of the action alone in the trailer Uh, yes (laughs) yeah like there's just so many moments in that trailer i'm just like oh man (laughs) that was great (laughs) all right i'm gonna watch that trailer too (laughs) (laughs) yeah it looks it looks just balls to the wall insane i mean i'm 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 here for it Mm -hmm. so but yeah i think this might just might be a korean director that we need to get into because there's not really a huge market for korean action so far like korea hasn't done south korea hasn't done as good of a job i suppose establishing itself as an action film market right yeah obviously well, chinese action the hong kong film industry is the pioneer of great martial arts action and there have been a lot from yeah. a lot of other places as well but yeah like korea you don't really think of as being an action movie market there's been a couple of like korean films in that kind of uh well, there have been a couple of korean action films that have come out that have kind of broken through in the the action community but like it's not like it's not systematic like it's just like cult classic type stuff right like i think what with um old boy is what i was thinking of well the, the thing is like old boy wasn't an action movie though but it's not a, but it had a had that one great action sequence yeah it had it, it was yeah it was it was a revenge drama with yeah. one phenomenal action scene in the middle of it yeah but it was if you watch that whole movie, it's not an action movie. Yeah, by like any it's, it's means. Not, I mean, there there are a like, few moments of yeah action violence, but like 
the for the most part it's just well, the one scene i think that's true because i think it's mostly it's like that movie wasn't an action film it was a violent film right um there was a lot of violence in that film but not all of it was action mm-hmm. so exactly yeah i think they just did violence very well and then of course when it came to physical violence they did that extremely well as well but yeah like that's the thing is like there there have been a couple of different stuff that come out but i, I guess no more than anywhere any place else that doesn't have a system of action movies like they don't have like like obviously hong kong cinema perfected the 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 the, the action techniques that we pretty much use perfected the action techniques that are used pretty much everywhere else now at least they should be they're starting to 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 like seep into the hollywood system as well yeah like hong kong does it does it very well there's a system like there's systems in place to make good action sequences but yeah i guess like yeah korea doesn't have doesn't have that kind of system set up to be able to do action action movies as as like a a, a, a token genre i guess yeah it'll be it'll be interesting and yeah i think this director has an opportunity with his successes with the villainess as well as you know which was a more independent film but then this one going you know to netflix and stuff like that yeah. to kind of establish uh, a niche for Korean uh, martial arts action, which again, there hasn't been much of, which is insane to think about because they, South Korea, you know, Korea is home to a pretty widespread martial art yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is used in a lot of other action markets, right? <laughs> like uh, a lot of actually action stars have Taekwondo backgrounds. Uh, is there like Donnie Yen is highly trained in Taekwondo, yeah. Scott Adkins, you know, people like that. Like there are there are whole action films based around an entire martial art, right? Like obviously there's Tony Jaw and all his movies are basically all Muay Thai. And um mm-hmm. I forget what the other version of Muay Thai is, because Muay Thai is a sport version. But there's and obviously Kung Fu and pick your Chinese martial art, right? Are there mm-hmm. any movies that are Taekwondo? Yeah, I don't know if there are any like raw Taekwondo movies where it's like that's the that's the art around yeah. which it focuses. It's like like oh yeah, the, here's an action film where the main character is a Taekwondo specialist. The main character mm-hmm. and like the, the 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 primary like the uh the actor or stunt person who, who plays the lead like they're a Taekwondo specialist. I, mean, I don't think we've gotten any of those, right? Like that's that it feels yeah, like a market that I don't think so. That should exist. <laughs> Yeah, right. It really does. Because it's, I mean, because that movie would just be beautiful to behold. I know. It's, it's a it's, very great, great looking martial art, like a fun martial art to watch specifically. It's inherently like, it's one of those demonstration martial arts that's just like designed around being flashy and being big and doing dope stuff with the human body. Like that sounds like you should put that on camera and it wins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there's already a huge market for it in tricking. You yeah. Know what I mean, like Taekwondo is the basis for so many uh, tricking routines. It's yeah. Like it just seemed it is inherently cinematic to some extent. And yeah, it's, I think it's a, it's a shame that I don't know if we've gotten a proper like Taekwondo showcase to the same extent that we got, you know, Muay Thai yeah, with yeah. Tony Jaa or Penchak Salat with Eco Oase mm-hmm. or, you know, boxing with Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, right? Like we haven't really got a pure showcase movie yeah. for that. The Karate Kid even, yeah. you know, it's like. The, the Karate you've Kid got, with Kung Fu. <laughs> i don't know if that's how that works maybe if you're Jaden smith the new well, one don't talk <laughs> yeah, about the, that. The, the, yeah the the remake of karate kid which was so 
weird and wrong and I don't even what the <laughs> heck is Jackie Chan doing in that film? I just I have no why idea. Why are they in China? Why is he trading on the Great Wall of China doing literally anything in a kung fu or in a karate kid movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like karate isn't exactly the first thing that comes to mind when you think Jackie Chan yeah. is. <laughs> uh, anyways, anyways, that was that was just a quick jab at that movie. I, I like taking jabs at that movie. It's weird. Jab jab. Jab jab. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, like we there, we haven't really gotten a showcase movie for that. Yeah. And like my usual response is just like, oh yeah, I'm going to go make that. But I really don't think I could. You really need somebody whose like thing is Taekwondo to make that movie as good as it could be because Taekwondo is very technical. Oh yeah. Yeah. You need somebody who knows that are inside now. Yeah. Because I know, I know a little bit of Taekwondo, but like I haven't left the ground and like gone into orbit yet <laughs> like that's just the level yeah. beyond me like, I, I i do not understand some of these things that like taekwondo professionals can do with their body like i just don't know how you can do that i'm just too big <laughs> so it's like yeah I, well i mean look, the, look at scott adkins though yeah. he's freaking huge and he does these taekwondo tricks like they're nothing yeah but i'm an inch taller than him <laughs> <laughs> You're a couple inches taller oh, than I'm him, actually. Like two, I think two inches. He's 5'10", 5'11". Still, when he's playing Boyka, though, he's heavier than you. How heavy, how heavy is he when he plays Boyka? Like, what's his... Uh... Uh, I, think, I, I think I saw one interview snippet where I think he said his, his upper range when he's in, like, movie shape, yeah. which would definitely be Boyka. I think Body Boyka's the range. heaviest he yeah. gets. Yeah, he's, like, 215. Oh, yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Is what I, think, I think what it translates to in yeah. pounds. Of course, he's European, so he's... he's kilos. The, the, the kilograms, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think it, I, I uh, did the, the calculator, and it, I think it was roughly about 215 Yeah, that's where I'm at right now. ...ish pounds. But he definitely has way more muscle than I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're probably not that cut right now. No, not that cut, <laughs> absolutely not. But um, if I were to be as lean as he was and that defined, I would probably be, like, 230, 240. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But either way. But still. Either way. Yeah. I was Scott, gonna say Scott Atkins is a specimen though. Oh, that's that's cheating. It's you you cannot compare yourself to Scott Atkins without also being Scott Atkins. <laughs> but I was gonna say I should I should start the Australian action film scene, but then I realized, wait, Mad Max is is Australian. <laughs> but no, it's, it's true. a different kind of action. I need I can bring in Australian martial arts action. I was like, oh, wait, that that that's I can fair. do. That I can do. Uh, yeah, that's fair. I don't know if there's a huge, there's a huge market for that. Yeah. Although to be fair, like the the star of Mad Max, Mel Gibson, did go on to be a big martial arts, you know, kind of action star. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, you can't dig at at Mel Gibson. Well, I mean, I guess you can, but Watch <laughs> everybody does. Yeah. But come on, come on. He's pretty good. He's not bad. Not bad and pretty good are two different, <laughs> two different things. <laughs> what are you talking about? He fought Jet Li. Yeah. He did all right. Yeah, okay. Um, but either way. He's a great actor, though. Either way. I need to, I need to get started uh, making some waves over here in Australia. Oh, yeah. I should probably uh, mention on the podcast, um, I might be getting work in Australia as an actor. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Yeah. You're entering the Australian talent pool. I am. Well, I'm trying to at least. But uh, I'm telling you. Next Mo Gibson. <laughs> you know, it, it might happen. Just just 
all all I want well, to be like I, I at this point now I keep switching my definitions of success and my my terms of or my uh my win conditions but now now getting into Mad Max is my next win condition <laughs> <laughs> Mad Max five is it gonna be the next Mad Max was just, well it, no, it's the, they rebooted it right so it'd be Mad Max two well they didn't with, reboot it they just kept going because it, <laughs> it's always been an anthology I guess that's true, but you, like, know? you know it's the the second movie with tom hardy the second tom hardy movie yeah that is coming up second tom hardy mad max yeah well they got two mad max movies they're working on currently oh, they? they're working on a furiosa movie and a, right. a new mad max i movie. remember the fury yeah the furiosa one but either either one of those just stick me in Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they don't they don't shoot in Australia anymore, though. They don't? Yeah, the first few did, but not anymore because the, I guess they found better, better deserts elsewhere. Probably. But I mean, it is still an Australian production, so it's still possible probably to get exported for that. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. Fly me, fly me back out to L.A. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they shoot in like uh, Africa and stuff like that. Oh, that's certain, uh, yeah, I guess that's fair. Yeah, I was, I was wondering if they if they went to like someplace in the U.S. just for like the tax benefits because I, I don't imagine the tax benefits in Australia are as good as tax benefits and for filming somewhere in like the U.S. who has a much yeah, bigger I don't film imagine. industry. But like but like the i think it's uh, i don't remember where fury road was shot but it was a mix between a couple of different locales one of them might have been in australia mm-hmm. but i'm not 100 percent sure yeah. on that but yeah either way you know still you know not tim miller george miller yeah <laughs> too many millers tim miller frank miller george miller uh, <laughs> george miller is yeah yeah he's still australian and i know he uh, still does a lot of mm-hmm. you know yeah the the industry work out of there you know and casting and whatnot yeah, yeah. so there's still a pretty good chance I'm, to get there from the australian industry yeah yeah because apparently uh the australian film industry is i mean it's no hollywood and it's no bollywood i guess <laughs> bollywood is like what is i think that's the second biggest film industry and then china after no no china's uh well it depends on how you measure like what metric you use by biggest if by biggest you mean like gross uh, amount of work gross (laughs) yeah money like if you mean the amount of money it generates bollywood is by far the largest film market in the world that's true right but yeah but either way uh apparently it's not it's not bad either because there's a lot of stuff happening in like the australian film industry that now that i'm here i'm hearing about it's like oh wow you guys are like you guys are doing it you guys are doing stuff yeah well and that's the thing is well first off australia has produced a lot of recognizable talent too they have, yeah there are a lot of there are a lot of great actors that have come out of the australian industry or gone into the australian and- industry <laughs> Yeah, yeah, one or the other, yeah. Well, and that's the thing. That's why I was kind of comparing to yeah, yeah, Mo yeah. Gibson's career path because he had a very unique one insofar as he's an American... He, he was an American A-list talent who got discovered in the Australian film industry yeah. before there was an Australian film industry. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, he was just... He was an American yeah. working in Australian theater who happened to get cast in a little indie pick, right? Mm-hmm. Because there, there's not, there wasn't a huge bur- uh, blossoming Australian film industry at that time. Mm-hmm. And it just set his whole career because it became a huge sleeper hit. And so, yeah, you know, 
stuff like that happens but it's like kind of weird because then you know he comes back to america and is like this huge star yeah. but he got his start in australia yeah. so he was he was an american living abroad and that's the thing is we've talked about this a lot before too is the fact that they're australia is a weird place insofar as there are a lot of adoptive australians well a lot of people who are born elsewhere immigrate to australia and identify for pretty yeah. much the rest of their lives as Australians. Well, that's, that's something that I, I realized now living here for three months is a very interesting comparison to the United States. The U.S. and Australia have very similar kind of like origin stories, right? Like they were British colonies at first, different kinds of British colonies, but both mm -hmm. British, like both uh, people who are going to the colonies established uh, in Australia and in the U.S., a lot of them were running from something like they didn't want to be there right like a lot of the obviously there's a prison right. colony here in australia but the, a lot of people who were going to the u.s or th uh, to the americas at that time they were all refugees and they were all people who were like uh like political outcasts or religious outcasts right they all were going mm -hmm. to these new colonies to find a new place to kind of start again right and some people right. came here because they were running from tax collectors but either way <laughs> <laughs> they there's that kind of shared similarities in like the the histories however for what whatever reason america became extremely anti-immigration and anti like or they, they they got super nationalist right like it's like we are like we mm -hmm. became our own identity now it's like now we're just going to completely lock ourselves in and do this weird kind of yeah isolationist yeah this, yeah this weird it's kind isolationist. Of the, the opposite of its founding principle yeah this weird isolationist thing which is exactly the opposite of their founding principles or is at least here in Australia what I've seen there's a lot of like multicultural acceptance and celebration like there's a lot of stuff where it's like yeah we love bringing people in and you know uh learning from these new cultures and making making it all Australian right so like especially the food here because it is it's it's a very strange island nation but it is an island nation <laughs> it's it's a it's a <laughs> massive island but still an island and so the food culture here, like there's a lot of seafood and a lot of like, obviously there's, uh, they have a really big like barbecue culture here. Um, not as big as the barbecue culture in the US, I think. But it's like, yeah, the kinds of seafood and barbecue cultures that they have, like they didn't start here. They all started somewhere else, right? Like Korean, Korean barbecue is a whole thing. They have, uh, they, they take from all those kinds of different cultures and make it Australian. Cause like, yeah, we took those like techniques and all those people who came here and now we have all these unique Australian dishes. Like you can, you know, eat kangaroo here. Where else can you do that? So like you take <laughs> this, take these things and you make them Australian, but drawing in from these other cultures and, and giving those cultures the recognition that they deserve for adding to Australian culture. Like it's very weird being here and saying like, Oh yeah, like I recognize all these things are happening, but you guys talk about it more for some reason. Like you guys are just saying like, <laughs> yeah, these are all different, like five different cultures all mashed into one place. And here's what they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very fascinating. It's very strange. Like they're, they're a lot more open about their multiculturalism. Yeah. Oh, and probably have just had more open borders generally. Yeah. I'm imagining, except which recently. is probably how that, except recently, where nobody has had open borders. Yeah. Um, but like that's probably i guess now that you mention a huge contributing cultural factor to the fact that a lot of people become adoptive yeah. australians but yeah the sheer number of high profile actors and celebrities that have 
that have become adoptive Australians is insane. Like, you know, uh, I already mentioned, you know, Mel Gibson, yep. you know, who's like practically knighted <laughs> Australian, but like, um, actually, I think he is actually like some form of knighted. I don't, I probably, didn't know they had that probably. sort of thing in Australia, but I guess it makes sense coming from uh, British uh, culture. But there's, you know, Hugh Jackman as well, mm-hmm. right? Right. Most people don't realize yeah. is an Australian. He's he was, he was born in England. Um, you got uh, Guy Pierce also really not Australian, identifies as Australian. Oh wow. Um, I didn't know yeah, Guy Pierce uh, was a what like a naturalized Australian. Is that, is that what it is? Yeah, I don't know what's the what the technical term exactly would be. Because like in the U.S., it's naturalized. I don't know if it's if it's the same thing here in Australia. I don't even know if. I don't even know if Russell Crowe was born in Australia. He might not have been either. <laughs> nope, New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, close enough. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, as Guy Pierce was also New Zealand. Okay, I'm yeah, pretty yeah, sure. Yeah. So, like, I guess a lot of a lot of people just hopped over to Australia and then became Australian. That's yeah, a quick but, swim. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, quick, quick swim. Backstroke. Yep. Um, but the yeah, like, there's. It's just the list goes on and on of a lot of people that we think of as being Australian who are not actually from Australia, but they just identify themselves that way because yeah. it's just it's for some reason, it's just a popular place to make a new home. in. I guess yep. check back with me in a few years, see if I'm an Australian yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll ask. Yeah, we'll see how long we keep this podcasting going, figure out if you're if you're Australian. But I mean, that's super inconvenient. It sounds like it, it was a whole adventure just to get there and it's just like i don't want to do that every time i want to see it (laughs) (laughs) the next time it happens probably won't be in the middle of a pandemic hopefully 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 we'll the next time this happens we won't be in the middle of a pandemic but you Mm. never know with all these like dead diseases that are resurging that's true that's true we just had a case of something here the first case of something in the u.s for like a decade was it polio? I can't remember it was what probably it was. Polio. I think it was, I think it was polio. And yeah. Like, okay. I remember I was watching uh, Bo the Fifth Column, and I think he was talking about this case uh, or, or like this this whole thing that's going on. And it's it's one of those things where it's like, y'all, polio was the first thing we killed with vaccines. How mm-hmm. did we go back that far? Like literally. Yeah, that is actually true. <laughs> vaccines were invented to cure polio or to destroy <laughs> polio as a disease. What happened? What happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was polio. Our, our, it's the. It, it was in New York. The first case of polio since 2013 yep. in the United States. We like we. You normally don't get vaccines for polio, like you know, as when you're a kid, you have all those like list of vaccines you get, all like your tetanus and all this other stuff. I think we stopped doing uh vaccines for polio because. It was so dead that it wasn't even a threat anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. I don't insanely know. Insanely dead. That's what, I, that's what I, I vaguely remember hearing something like that. But either way, that was literally the first thing we killed. And now it's back. Mm-hmm. What happened? Yeah. Yeah. Monkeypox is a thing now. It's just, it's insane. So we'll see. We'll see what the state of the world continues to be. Uh, and how it affects our travel plans. Yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah, it's that's in, that's insane. Yeah. But you know what? I think at the very least, you will come over here to shoot movies. Oh, absolutely. So <laughs> well, here's here's my my current, I guess, um, career path that I'm trying to get going. Like, obviously, 
Yeah, what is the dream? The dream. Obviously, I want to be in the film industry as a career. Like being, I'm happy with anything. But right now, uh, talent or getting, getting any of those like entry level jobs, right? That's just getting my foot in the door. Getting being able to get on sets, meet people, make connections. Right now, Australia happens to be the most opportune place for me to do that because I accidentally accumulated a ton of film contacts here. Um, I now <laughs> know a bunch of people who are actively shooting or like who are actively in uh, film projects in Australia because of everyone I've been working with through uh, like Rose's TAFE at, in her mm-hmm. film school. So I was like, okay, I can start that here because I, I'm well connected now. I can get in, do uh do my talent thing i don't know extra jobs yeah jobs right need a couple of commercials get my contacts and then eventually i I, i'm i'm thinking this is how this works anyways eventually (laughs) you get to the point where you are wanted as talent everywhere there's film right like i guess it's gonna get to the point where it's like you just become Mm -hmm. a name and then people who are like oh i want to i want to shoot films let me look at my talent pool of the world and then you can get into those type of things, which might mean you get work in LA. You might, you might get work in New York, right? Like those kinds of bigger, mm. bigger places for filming. That's the hope is to be able to get off the ground here and then get my name into the bigger pool of names, like B list actors, right? C list actors, <laughs> I'm, right? I'm like a, I'm like a X list actor right now. <laughs> get to the point yeah, where people like, who do the, all the, uh, the casting are looking at a larger pool of talent to be able to say, oh yeah, 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 I could fly to LA and do your and do this thing for a couple of weeks or a couple of months or whatever, and be able to go, oh yeah, yeah. Now it's time to go back to the U.S. and live there for a little bit, and then do some jobs there, but then come back or whatever. Uh, however, my citizenship stuff's gonna end up working with, or my my residency, because I might end up living here. Um, it's it is nice living here. <laughs> it's really nice. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Well, you'll have to climb the ladder pretty far to get to that point where you're in the international pool. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. you got to do something impressive. Well, go make the raid while you're there. Exactly. Well, that's what I'm saying. If I can make a name as stunt, as a stunt person or stunt coordinator or a uh, second unit director or anything like that here, it's going to be a lot louder of a splash than if I made that same kind of contributions to film. If I was in LA, there's tons of me in LA, right? There's, there's, Right. Way too many of them. I was about <laughs> to be another one of those people because I was, that was the idea was to go to LA and do that. But I think now it'd be a lot easier to, I guess, I guess get discovered or like make a break here because I know the level of talent that I have as a, a filmmaker. I know, the, I know my, my potential and there's enough of an of a industry here that I can, I can get my roots and get started and get going and make a name and stand out because there's just less of my type of, of people like us. There's just less of us here. Uh, when you compare us to like LA, right? Obviously, there's a ton yeah. of talented people here in Australia. There's a ton of talented people everywhere. But there's, there's way too many of us in LA, in New York. There's way too many of us. There's way too many. Mm-hmm. So I have a higher chance of succeeding here first and then moving over yeah. to LA. Especially since, as it seems with your current networking, you're already inserting yourself at a higher level of industry than you'd be starting at if you were to go to any of those other hubs. Probably. Right. Probably. Just you know, like you, you, you already seemingly have access to just like 
yeah, a slightly higher level of industry just as a starting point yeah. here. And so again, because the splashes that I would be, I would be making as a creative are just louder because there's fewer there's fewer splashes, right? Um, mm. It's not like, oh yeah, hey, you're an editor, right? Cool, get in line. It's like, oh, actually, you did that pretty well. Uh, last time I saw that was a couple projects ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot more opportunity, a lot more opportunity here. If you're going to be talent, I guess it's time to start training your talent. Yeah. So to get back in shape. You're going to have to. Yeah. You need to, <laughs> you need to get back and get back and work in shape. Yeah. You need to be able to, to move. I can move for a short amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I recently did. Yeah. Um, we shot an action scene for one of the classes, class assignments that I was talent on and they needed an extra director. So I'm like, yeah, I'll direct it. I'll direct the scene. It's going to be an action scene though. And that was one really fun going back into doing uh, shooting for action, but also like I didn't realize how much of that just doesn't go away. Like we just dropped into it. I was like, man, I haven't shot anything in what years, and it just feels natural just going right back into this. Like I, like I'm moving. I'm like hitting my marks. I'm like I'm I'm aware of the camera. I'm like stacking well. I'm like yeah, this stuff just doesn't go away apparently. So <laughs> like. It was a very short shoot. I think it was only like 45 minutes of, of filming. I was like, yeah, we got a lot done. And I think it, a lot of it just has to do with working with professionals. When you aren't doing everything yourself. Oh, yeah. I only had to focus on being talent, right? I only had to be the actor. And I was like, this is actually kind of easy. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's incredible not having to do everything yourself, right? right. It must be it's nice. Amazing. <laughs> I you should try it. <laughs> I, sh- I should. I should. <laughs> yeah. Well, that sounds like a ton of fun. I can't wait to see the fruits of all that. Especially when you strip down everything like that. And like, if I'm just doing talent, that's like, I, that's the, if that's the only thing I have to focus on, I think I got that in the bag. Mm-hmm. But still, yeah, you gotta, I guess, especially in the stunt world, you really gotta, you really gotta push your body. Well, I, I, I'm going to start pushing. Yeah. Right now I am yeah. solidly entry level. <laughs> <laughs> solidly entry level. <laughs> yeah. You're definitely a cut above. Kevin, <laughs> some so there's some, some guy who just showed up on set. I'm not, yeah, I, I'm I'm not just anyone off the street. I'm not just like your average extra. I gotta start being more than your not average extra. <laughs> <laughs> what a bar! <laughs> what a bar! Right? <laughs> more than not average. Right. Slightly above average. We need to wind this yeah. down, but. Uh, is it too late to talk about the James Webb Space Telescope? Man, no, because that's going to be going on for a long time. I, it, it, we're going to continue to see stuff coming out from the James Webb Telescope for a while. Obviously, there's we just um, they just released a bunch of images. How long ago? Was yeah, that? that's what I was kind of getting at. It was very recent. Those are the first yeah. images from that telescope since it launched. Yeah, and that was kind of a huge thing. And apparently. Yeah, like that's like the clearest we've yeah. ever seen space, yeah. like ever. Well, because those are the first photos that were released that were finished photos. Because a lot of photos that were released before were just calibration stuff, just to make sure that we had it right. I think the public had access to some of those, but most of it was just like you know, getting the white balance right <laughs> or whatever it is, that, the technical <laughs> yeah, stuff, right? And those were the first ones that were released of like, yeah, it's ready, hit the shutter, and man, so good, so yeah. Good absolutely stunning photos i, I like how uh, hey, uh, yeah hank green did a pretty profound video ooh, on i gotta watch that there's a, a, a science presenter that i follow who tweeted out it's like these two photos were taken like 
30 years apart or whatever, right? Like I think one was Hubble, one was James Webb. And it was like, it took us that long to fill in this corner of space because the other, the other <laughs> photo had a missing corner. <laughs> Why did it have a missing because corner? Because you shoot, you shoot these in batches. So you focus on one area at a time, you get that exposed for like however long it is, the exposure is, right? And then you move, you just like move the lens or the camera or whatever and you focus it down and, and do quadrants. So you, that's how you get these massive images because there are several dozen images all stitched together. But there was just one ah. corner that wasn't finished. <laughs> and it was like, it took us this long to fill in that corner. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I love this guy. He's oh, fun. wow. But yeah, because obviously they, they had a full, the full, the full picture was a full rectangle, right? You don't usually right. get that kind of stuff in space photography for this kind of level of stuff, just simply because you have to really pay attention to where you're shooting because it just takes that it just takes so much time. So you have to pick and choose which areas you want to focus on. And sometimes there'll be gaps in the photos because it's like, yeah, there's nothing there that we need to look at right now. This is more interesting. We want to capture this particular supernova because we know that's going to happen or we know that is happening. And so we need to capture it. So oftentimes there'll be gaps in these kind of images. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, it's not that Hubble couldn't do it. It's just really funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, it's super fascinating and just really I don't know, huge. It's it's cosmic. It's literally, you know, it's, it's literally cosmic. Yeah, it's it's, awesome. it's again, brought, we've done a lot of yeah, awesome in the literal sense of the term. Mm -hmm. It's very much yeah, the kind of thing that just really I don't know, expands your ideas and thoughts about the universe, but also is just kind of I don't know. It's just it's yeah. It's just really inspiring. It puts it, it puts everything in perspective. Yeah, it puts everything yeah. in perspective, yeah. and that's kind of what that's kind of what Hank Green's video was about. Yeah. Was just like people feel kind of small after that, but it's uh, it's still it's 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 pretty extraordinary. It's just pretty extraordinary photography, and we've done some extraordinary space photography before. Mm. Um, but to see yeah the latest and greatest of something that was just launched into space, and because the, the technology is always going to be like leagues behind current technology yeah. just by virtue of the fact that you have to launch stuff, you know? Um, so it's always space. What's out in space is always going to be a little bit behind what's current, mm -hmm. but it's, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Fascinating, fascinating series of images. And that's kind of exciting that we're going to be getting more of that for decades to come, mm -hmm. I suppose, before we launch another one. Yeah. Well, yeah. all right. We'll keep that as an ongoing one then. Yeah, if you Webb. think, if you hear of anything interesting, yeah, the James Webb Space Telescope. It's I forget what the acronym or not the acronym the initialism for that is, but the short version of the James Webb Space Telescope because that's a really long name. <laughs> there's there's so much that I like. I remember uh, just really quick. I remember listening to all the stuff that was going into not even making the actual like lens in the camera or anything like that. Just like like the sun shields or like the the case that's going to shoot it or that's going to protect it like as it's in the rocket because you kind of have to imagine that this this is a this is a camera right if you drop your camera something bad might happen right this is this is going on the end of a piece of metal that's exploding <laughs> yeah like the, te the technology that's going into just that kind of stuff is like it's just mind-blowing that we're at this level we've been at this level for a while and it's just continuously getting better it's just, it's, it's so, it's just so awesome to look at and to know that we are capable of such great things. Yeah, yeah. 
It's quite fascinating. Well, on that optimistic note, uh, I think it, that's a good place to wind this recording to a close. So thank you all very much for listening. This has been the Hypercube podcast. This show is edited by Lauren Pacheco, mixed by Rafael Pacheco with theme music by Mono Memory. Until next time, we'll see you all later. God bless. Stay curious. Stay curious.